Please remain standing for our scripture lesson. And again, it's not John, it's Luke, Luke 18, 9 through 14. It's one of the parables, parables of the of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, the parables communicate to us what the kingdom of God is like, or what it should be like. So, these are Jesus' words to us. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. In case you were tempted to be impressed by my ability to come up with a sermon in less than 24 hours time I didn't write it it's about 250 years old as a matter of fact George Whitfield, the Pharisee and the publican um, publican of course is uh, a name for tax collector and um, what I've done is I have um, abridged the sermon somewhat and updated the language. And in case you find that impressive for 24 hours, I actually did this a while ago because I was slated to teach or to preach this um, a couple of years ago and I think the church service was canceled for some reason, perhaps weather. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the continuity in your church the fact that there is so much relevant to even today's society in this 250-year-old sermon. We thank you for the work that Pastor Whitfield put into this, and we ask, Lord, that you will bless these words to your people on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Were I to ask you, how would you say that you expect to be justified in the sight of an offended God I suppose all of us would answer only for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were I to look deep into your consciences, I fear that many would make the Lord Jesus but in part their Savior and establish a little bit of righteousness of their own. This is not being uncharitable. After all, we are all self-righteous by nature. It is natural for us to turn to a covenant of works. This was also true of the public during the time of our Lord's ministry. Accordingly, in almost all his discourses, he preached the gospel to poor sinners and he denounced terrible woes against proud self-justifiers. The parable to which the words of the text belong looks at both of these sorts of people. Luke informs us in verse 9 that our Lord told it to some who were trusted in in themselves 
that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And a notable parable it is, a parable worthy of our most serious attention. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican or tax collector. The Pharisees were the strictest sect among the Jews. Not only did they pray often, but they made long prayers and that they might appear extraordinarily devout, they would pray at street corners so that people coming or going both ways might see them. As our Lord informs us, they made broad the borders in their their phylacteries. That is, they had pieces of parchment sewn to their long robes on which some parts of scripture were written so that people might know that they were lovers of the law of God. They were so careful and exact in outward purifications that they washed at their coming in and their going out. They were very zealous for the traditions of the fathers and for the observation of the rites and ceremonies of the church, despite the fact that they often disregarded the law of God in their traditions. And they were so exceedingly exact in their outward observation of the Sabbath that they condemned our Lord for making a little clay with his spittle, saying he was not of God because he had given sight to a blind man, a man born blind, on the Sabbath day. Because of their zeal, they were held in high esteem by the people who were sadly misled by these blind guides. They had the uppermost places in the synagogues, and in their greetings in the marketplaces, which they loved dearly, they were called rabbi by men. In short, they had such a reputation for piety that it became a proverb among the Jews that if only two men were saved, one of them must be a Pharisee. As for the publicans, it was not so with them. They were gatherers of the Roman taxes, and as it appears by the confession of Zacchaeus, used to amass much wealth by outright theft. They were so universally infamous that our Lord himself tells his disciples that an excommunicated man should be to them as a Gentile and a tax collector. And one way that the Pharisees sought to discredit our Lord's character was to point out that he was a friend to tax collectors and sinners and sat down with them at meals. But, however they disagreed in other things, the Pharisee and the publican agreed in this, that public worship is a duty incumbent upon all. For they both came up to the temple. Our Lord and his apostles went up to the temple, and we are commanded by the apostle not to neglect meeting together, as is the practice of too many in our day. Two men went up to the temple. And why did they go there? Not as many others do, to make the house of God a house of merchandise, or turn it into a den of thieves, or to ridicule the preacher or disturb the congregation. No. They came up the temp- came up to the temple, says the Lord, to prayer. This is where the tribes of God's spiritual Israel should go, a place to talk with and pour their hearts out before the mighty God of Jacob. Two men went up to the temple to pray. I fear one of them forgot his errand. 
I've often been at a loss as to what to call the Pharisee's address. It certainly does not deserve to be called a prayer. It was really more of a boast. I do not find one word of confession of his own guilt, nor one single petition for pardon of his past sins, or for grace to help and assist him for the time to come. He only brings to God, as it were, a reckoning of his performances, and does that by which no flesh can do, justifiably, um, glorify himself in the presence of God. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Our Lord first takes notice of his posture. The Pharisee stood. He's not to be condemned for that, for standing as well as kneeling is an appropriate posture for prayer. Elsewhere, our Lord says, when you stand praying. Though sometimes our Lord kneeled and even fell, lay flat on his face upon the ground. His apostles also kneeled, as we read in the book of Acts. Kneeling and standing are indifferent if the knee of the soul is bent and the heart is upright towards God. We should not be particular in indifferent things, lest we mislead weak minds. The Pharisee is described as standing by himself. These words may be understood to say that he stood by himself at some eminent place in the temple near the Holy of Holies, that the congregation might see a, what a devout man he was. Or it might be understood that he prayed by himself or of himself out of his own heart. He did not pray by form. It was an extemporaneous prayer. For there are many Pharisees that pray and preach too extemporaneously. I do not say this to condemn extemporaneous prayer or discourage those dear souls who really pray by the Spirit. Rather, I point out that not everyone that prays extemporaneously is spiritual, nor is everyone that prays with a form, a formal person. He stood and prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Here is some appearance of devotion, but it is only an appearance. To thank God that we are not extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and as wicked in our practices as other men is certainly appropriate and our duty. Whatever degrees of goodness there may be in us are due to God's restraining, preventing, and assisting grace. We are all equally conceived and born in sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God and liable to all the curses of the law, so that he who glories must glory only in the Lord. <clears throat> For none of us have anything which we did not receive, and whatever we have received, we did not in the least merit it, nor could we, in the le could we lay the least claim to it on any account whatsoever. We are wholly indebted to free grace for all. 
Had the Pharisee thought this when he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men, it would have been an excellent introduction to his prayer. But he was self-righteous and thought that by his own power and strength, he had kept himself from those vices. He not only boasts, but he lies before God. He thanks God that he was not unjust. But is it not an act of the highest injustice to rob God of his prerogative? Is it not an act of injustice to judge our neighbor? And yet this self-righteous bragger is guilty of both of these crimes. Even like this publican, he seems to speak with the utmost disdain, this publican. Perhaps he pointed at the poor man so that others might treat him with the same contempt. You proud boaster, what have you to do with that poor publican? Do you suppose that since other publicans were unjust and extortioners, it therefore follows that he must be as well? Or if he had been such a sinner, how do you know he has not repented of these sins? His coming up to the temple to pray is one good sign of a reformation, at least. You are therefore inexcusable, O Pharisee, who thus judges the publican, for you judge him to be unjust. And you, in the very act of of judging, are unjust yourself. Your sacrifice is only the sacrifice of a fool. We have seen what the Pharisee's negative goodness comes to, I think nothing at all. Let us see how far his positive goodness extends. For if we are truly religious, we should not only avoid evil, but also do good. The Pharisee then says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee is not here condemned for his fasting. He is only condemned for making a righteousness of his fasting. And thinking that God would accept him, or that he was any better than his neighbors, merely on account of his fasting. The Pharisee was not to be criticized for fasting twice a week. However, to depend on fasting in the least for his justification before God was really abominable. I give tithes of all that I get. He might have just said, I pay tithes. But self-righteous people, whatever they may say to the contrary, think they give something to God. In saying, I give tithes of all that I possess, the Pharisee was saying, I take great care to give tithes, not only of all that the law requires, but of my mint, anise, and cumin, of all things whatsoever that I possess. While this tithing was appropriate, to boast of such things or of fasting is pharisaical and evil. Now then, let us sum up all the righteousness of this boasting Pharisee and see what reason he had to trust in himself that he was righteous or to despise others. He says he is not unjust, but we have only his word for that, and I think I have proved to the contrary. He is no adulterer, no extortioner. He fasts twice a week and gives tithes of all that he possesses. All this he may do, and a great deal more, and yet still be a child of the devil. For there is no mention made of his loving the Lord his God with all his heart, 
which is the first and great commandment of the law. Here is not a single, single syllable of inward religion. It is only an outside piety at best. Inwardly, he is full of pride, self-justification, and great uncharitableness. Let us now take a look at the publican in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The publican, standing far off, perhaps in the outer court of the temple, aware that he was not worthy to approach the Holy of Holies, so conscious of and so weighed down with a sense of his own unworthiness that he would not so much as lift his eyes up to heaven. Poor soul, what did he feel at this time? None but returning publicans like himself can tell. I imagine seeing him standing afar off, pensive, oppressed, and even overwhelmed with sorrow. Sometimes he attempts to look up, but then he thinks even the heavens are unclean in God's sight, and the very angels are charged with folly. How then can such a wretch as I dare to lift up my guilty head? To show that his heart was full of holy self-resentment, he beat his breast. The word in the original language implies that he struck hard against his breast. The publican will lay the blame for his sins upon nothing but his own wicked heart. I do not doubt that it is with tears that he at last cries out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Not God be merciful to me, a saint, for he knows all his righteousnesses were but filthy rags. No, he said, God be merciful to me, even to me, a sinner, a sinner by birth, a sinner in thought, word, and deed, a sinner as to my person, a sinner as to all my actions, a sinner in whom there is no health, in whom dwells no good thing, a sinner, poor, miserable, blind, naked from the crown of the head to the sole of the feet, full of wounds and bruises, a self-accursed, self-condemned sinner. Do you think that this publican would have been offended if any minister told him that he deserved to be damned? Would he have been angry if anyone told him that he was by nature half a devil and half a beast? No, he would have confessed that he deserved a thousand hells and that he was an earthly devilish sinner. He felt now what a dreadful thing it was to depart from the living God. He felt that he was inexcusable in every way, that he could not in any way, upon account of anything in himself, be justified in the sight of God. He therefore lays himself at the feet of sovereign mercy. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Here is no confidence in the flesh, no plea fetched from fasting, paying tithes, or the performance of any other duty. Here is no boasting that he was not an extortioner, unjust, or an adulterer. Perhaps he had been guilty of all of these crimes. At least he knew he would have been guilty of all these had he been left to follow the desires of his own heart. Therefore, with a broken and contrite spirit, he cries out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. This man came up to the temple to pray, and he prayed indeed. And God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. I tell you, says our Lord 
Jesus. I who lay in the bosom of the Father from all eternity. I who am God and therefore know all things. I who can neither deceive nor be deceived. Whose judgment is always right. I tell you, whatever you may think of it, or think of me for telling you so, this man, this publican, this despised, sinful, but broken-hearted man, went back to his house justified, acquitted, and looked upon as righteous in the sight of God, rather than the other. Let Pharisees take heed that they do not pervert this text. For when it is said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, our Lord does not mean that both were justified, and that the publican had more justification than the Pharisee. Rather, it implies either that the publican was actually justified, but the Pharisee was not, or that the publican was in a better position to receive justification than the Pharisee. That the Pharisee was not justified is certain, for God opposes the proud. That the publican was at this time actually justified, and perhaps went home with a sense of that in his heart, we have great reason to infer from the latter part of the text. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The parable of the publican and the Pharisee is a glasp, a glass, wherein we may see the different dispositions of all mankind. For all mankind may be divided into two general classes. Either they trust wholly or partially in themselves that they are righteous, in which case they are Pharisees, or they have no confidence in the flesh and are self-condemned sinners, in which case they come in under the character of the publican just now described. The different reception these men meets, these men meet points us vividly the different treatments that the self-justifier and self-condemned criminal will meet at the terrible day of judgment. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone, without exception, young or old, rich or poor, for God is no respecter of persons, everyone that exalts himself and not free grace, everyone that trusts in himself that he is righteous, that rests in his works, or thinks to join them with the righteousness of Jesus Christ for justification in the sight of God, even if he is not an adulterer or an extortioner, even if he, was, he is out, outwardly just, even if he fasts twice a week and gives tithes of all that he possesses, yet he shall he be abased in the sight of all good men who know him here and before men and angels and God himself when Jesus Christ comes to appear in judgment. How low none can, but the Almighty God can tell. He shall be humbled to live with devils and make his abode in the lowest hell forevermore. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Pull down every self-righteous thought and every proud imagination that now exalts itself against the perfect, personal, imputed righteousness of our dear Lord Jesus. For he 
And he alone who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself, whatever he is, if instead of fasting twice a week, he has been drunk twice in the past week, if instead of giving tithes of all that he possesses, he has cheated the minister of his tithes and the king of his taxes, notwithstanding that he may be unjust, an extortioner, an adulterer, nay, notwithstanding that the sins of all mankind unite in him, yet, if through grace, like the publican, he is enabled to humble himself, then he will be exalted. Not in a temporal manner, for Christians must rather expect to be abased and to have their names cast out as evil and to lay down their lives for Christ Jesus in this world. But he will be exalted in a spiritual sense. He shall be freely justified from all his sins by the blood of Jesus. He shall have peace with God, a peace which passes all understanding, not only peace, but joy in believing. He will be translated from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God's dear Son. He will dwell with Christ, and Christ with him. He will be one with Christ, and Christ one with him. O sinners, did you but not know how highly... God intends to exalt those who humble themselves and, hum- and believe in Jesus. Surely you would humble yourselves, or at least beg God to humble you. For it is he that must strike the rock of your hearts and cause flood of contrite tears to flow from them. I observed that perhaps the publican had a sense of his justification before he went down from the temple and knew that his pardon was sealed in heaven. Who knows, but you also might be thus exalted before you go home if you humble yourselves. Oh, what peace, love, and joy would you then feel in your hearts. You would have a heaven upon earth. Greater love can no man show to than to lay down his life for a friend, but Christ laid down his life for his enemies, even for you, if you are enabled to humble yourself as the publican did. Though your sins be as scarlet, yet, if you humble yourself, they shall be white as snow. One act of true faith in Christ justifies you forever and ever. And he has not promised you what he cannot perform. He is able to exalt you, for God has exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, God has exalted him not only a prince, but a savior. May he be a savior to you.